Welcome to the Emerge Leadership Connection, the podcast that gives you the keys to unlock your heroic potential, develop into a legendary leader, and emerge into who you were meant to be. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Ron Kaiser and discuss how to stop living a sedentary life, leadership failures in psychology and medicine, the process of rejuvenating, and how it all ties back to leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, founder of The Leadership Guide and finalist for the Extraordinarian Award for coaches with ideas that can change people, businesses, and the world for the better for my ideas on leadership. Stay tuned to the end of the episode to discover how to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders with the goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofit causes which are currently looking to impact the world and make it better for future generations. Now, on to the show. Hey, Ron, how are you doing today? Doing well, Cody. Nice to be with you. Nice to be with you, too. So uh, we met at the New Media Summit, and um, there was something very surprising about you, and it's that you are much older than you come off as. Well, I'm I'm pretty old, so I uh, try to, you know, at least act my age. I try to uh, be younger and try to keep myself in shape for doing that. Definitely. And, and I would say you're succeeding really, really well. Um, j- just so the audience knows, how old are you, Ron? I'm 81. You're 81, but you don't look a day over 60. Well, you. <laughs> you're welcome. I get others to uh, my age to, to not make this an old age. Definitely. And, and that's, that's really important, right? Because uh, I, you, you sent me your book. And there's sometimes I'll have an author offer to send me their book. And usually I decline just because I'm trying to be polite. Um, but you were very persistent and, um, I ended up getting your book from you and, um, I'm a quarter of the way through it and it's fantastic so far. It's called rejuvenating, which I think is a brilliant title. The, the concept of rejuvenating itself is the, the concept of as you get older, you rejuvenate yourself. You're not getting older to decline. Correct. It's the, the process. It, it's not tied to whether you retire, don't retire, but it's based on the fact that activity rather than passivity is important. It's what got us through life to this point. It's important to not quit at this point. Definitely. And I think that's such, such an important thing in the world. There's, there's kind of, there, there's two problems a lot of people run into. The, the more common one that you hear about is people doing too much all the time, right? And then they're like super stressed all the time and, and it's not going well. But then you have the other side where you don't have enough activity, right? Correct. And for whatever reason, and, and there's some good historical reasons for it, uh, sedentary, uh, a sedentary lifestyle has been kind of associated with getting older, that people look forward to the time when they're going to be able to do nothing, and that's really counterproductive. Definitely. And, and um, with one of my mentors currently, I discovered something that, I, that honestly flabbergasted me. And it was the, the, the idea that you can be active and still live a sedentary life. You can work out two hours a day and still be considered sedentary. Yes. You know, the overall mentality, I think the mindset of are you – somebody who's moving forward with your life where does the the working out fit in with the intellectual functioning with social involvements things of this nature uh we're looking for balance that's that's really my goal it's what works for people if if they're going to be achievers at a younger age and it shouldn't stop when when you get older i mean the the goal is really to enjoy time rather than to be passive and sedentary. Definitely. So, and, and just in case people don't know, uh, give a definition of what sedentary is. Well, 
from from my vantage point, sedentary means that you are basically immobile for for a big chunk of the day. That uh, you're passive. You're uh, not really being active physically, intellectually, or socially. And again, you can have some interference with that, but if the orientation isn't toward being active. In other words, when you sit down and relax, relaxation should be a part of the day. It shouldn't be your definition. <laughs> I love that. Relaxation should be a part of your day, not the definition. I love that quote. That's brilliant. Well, thank you. Don't know that I'd say it's brilliant, but I, I do think <laughs> it makes sense. Oh, it, it makes perfect sense. And and I feel like so often in so many facets of, of the world, people think that they they just want to relax and that should become like the definition of everything they do. And they take great strides to make that the definition of what they do. Yeah, well, there's, there's kind of a historical basis for this. Uh, really? I can bore you with a little bit of history. Yeah. Bore me with it. I, I love history. You can't actually bore me with history, so. Well, I don't know if you know when the Social Security Act came in, but that was uh, 1935. Okay. Uh, I was born two years later. Uh, the Social Security Act, when it came into being, set the retirement age at 65, when you could start collecting, and it stayed there for a long, long time. When I was born in 1937, the life expectancy for a male was, we were, I was in the last group that had a life expectancy of under 60 years of age. If you were born in 1938, it wow. went up, up over. So you just look at the reality of the thing. If your life expectancy is like 60 years and you don't, uh, expect to retire before 65, you don't have to do a lot of planning for what's going to happen in the older ages. And the most obvious thing is, okay, I've got 65, I'm at 65, I've got a little bit longer to live, let me just rock or sit at, at uh, uh, with a fishing pole or basically plan to do nothing. So a book like mine could never have been written at that time because there wasn't a population for it. You know, some people obviously exceeded the expectations, but there wasn't a, a real population for it. Yeah, because the, the life expectancy has grown tremendously since that time. I want to say now that the general life expectancy is currently sitting somewhere around 80. Am I correct on that? You know, some, something like that. Well, it depends at what age you're, you're uh, <laughs> doing it. Uh, but yeah, somewhere around there. And the reality is if you are basically sedentary and not being proactive about your health, that can be a kind of a miserable time of life if essentially you're dealing with medical issues, uh, reduced quality of life, and in some cases, reduced longevity. Definitely. And, and I believe that a, a, a pretty decent portion of the different sicknesses and things that we face is due to being sedentary when we're younger, even starting from my age. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know if you got to the part in the book where I said one of the principles is to start growing old early. That <laughs> I, I have, yes. Okay. Which I consider kind of the equivalent of kind of saving for retirement. In other words, if you build in habits of how you're going to interact with others, how you're going to, what you put into your body, uh, how you treat your body, how you treat your mind, uh, then you're essentially saving for retirement or if you're like me, saving for non-retirement, but hopefully a good quality of life at that time. And what I loved about what you just said there is it's a habit, right? These aren't things that naturally come to any of us necessarily. And, and there's a lot of how our society is set up that actually makes it feel like it's unnatural when it's really not. This is how we should have been living the entire time. And yet the, the way society has formed kind of changed that, that mental perception, I think. Correct. And it actually, in some cases, unless you make an effort, 
for it. It's, it's really harder to do that now because you have the ability to sit on the internet or to watch, I don't know how many hundreds of channels. Uh, so that, that, yeah, it's, it's not the way the cavemen got to <laughs> this point in time. They did it by being physical. They did it by, uh, you know, forming tribes ultimately to uh, defend each other and work together, uh, you know, so, so that what's going on now is can, can be very counterproductive as well as being counter what got us to this place in, in the first place. Definitely. And, 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 and going off of that, right. Some, sometimes in order to kind of flip that perception, you really have to take, I, I would say, take an extra effort to make it easier to change those habits, right? For instance, you were saying that you can be on the computer and on the internet sitting at a computer, right? Well, for me right now, I'm standing as I do this podcast. I've set up my desk so that I'm able to stand at my computer so that I'm not being sedentary. And I can move around and go like this, you know? Okay, you taught me something. I've been thinking about getting one of those extensions for my desk so that it can go up and down uh, I mean, I, I applaud you for, for thinking about it because, again, if you're on the, the computer a fair amount of time, uh, then, you know, you're not doing a whole lot of for yourself from an exercise standpoint, which is a necessary thing unless you build it into that. Definitely, yeah. And, and the, the, the interesting thing is that you don't necessarily have to, like, get – a huge setup for having a standing desk, right? right? I mean, you could literally just get some books and stack them up in a way so that you can put your laptop on top of the books and then just stand at the desk. You could put right. a bookshelf on top of the desk and put the computer on top of the bookshelf and stand at your desk. You don't need a full setup to do this. You just have to think creatively. Yeah, I'm glad you're telling people that because, you know, it goes along with so many other kinds of things that if you, uh, uh, like my office is on the second floor of a building, there is an elevator that runs there, but I don't take it. Uh, you can park in a further spot than trying to, to get the, the closest one you possibly can. All these things, you know, kind of add up over the course of the day. The uh, the recommendations in terms of exercise nowadays is that you don't have to get it all done at one time. You know, it add, all this stuff is additive, as well as the fact that psychologically, if you're thinking in terms of, okay, I'm going to be active, what, what can I do to be active while I'm at the computer? Uh, what can I, uh, where can I park when I'm going shopping? Uh, do I really have to take the car six blocks or can I walk it? You know, if, once you start thinking in those terms, then it becomes much more of a habit. Definitely, yeah. Like, like for me, that's something that's always been on my mind because I did a lot of sports growing up. So I wanted to make sure I was always being more fit for my sports. And so like whenever I was in a parking lot, one, I was thinking, why would I waste all this time and gas trying to find the closest parking spot when I could end up circling the same thing three or four times when I could already be in there and out when I could and I have two good legs if I just park at the back I'm gonna get in the store it's gonna be okay <laughs> yeah it sounds very simple when you when you think about it in those terms uh, but it's probably a bit of a revelation for some people yeah Definitely. And, and, then, and then it's just about thinking, you were saying you can do it in small chunks, right? Um, in, I, I'm going through a certification for, for my business right now. And one of the things that we're talking about are different rhythms throughout the day, right? You have high points and low points. Um, and you, you have like your, your circadian rhythms, where you kind of wake up at a certain time and then you go to sleep at a certain time. Then you have what they call micradian rhythms, which is about every 90-ish minutes where you get like 90 minutes of really strong work and then about 20 minutes-ish of really not so hard work. Yeah. 
And then one of the things that our certification is, is kind of coining is this concept of micradian rhythms, which is every about 15 minutes doing something small to, to just not sit all the time. Whether it's you get up and you just do five squats really quick, you do a couple jumping jacks, even just a quick stretch, a little bit here, a little bit there, and that can completely change that, that sedentary lifestyle. Yes, and again, psychologically, it, it puts your mindset in a different place. You're looking for things to do that will activate those things, and uh, you know, you're doing great, so I... I hope uh, many of your listeners follow your advice. Well, thank you on that. I appreciate that. Now, now diving back into your book, Rejuvenaging, right? What was the, the inspiration for you to write this book? Well, there were really three types of, of inspirations that, that kind of coalesced at, at one time. Uh, the, uh, I like to tell people the first Thing really started with a colonoscopy, which is oh one. okay. Well, that, that's not one you expect as a <laughs> as an inspiration. <laughs> well, it you know I'm trying to be a, as transparent as possible. Yeah. Um, so 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 what about that? Those, inspirational. <laughs> so one of those things that that you kind of have to start doing once you reach a certain age, things like that, or hearing tests and stuff. And I recall. Uh, I must have been in my early 60s, and the nurse asked me, what medications do you take? Not, are you taking any medications, but what medications do you take? Which means that, that that's a, an expectation that, that was yeah. built in, that, that you, know, you should be taking medications. Uh, that's come up more than once, in, including uh, one nurse that asked me, you know, when I said I don't take any, uh, she said, well, what about like blood pressure and cholesterol as if that's, you know, kind of a given that, mm -hmm. you know, at age 21, you are able to, to drink. And once you reach a certain age, you know, you can start taking a statin. And I really objected to that. And I really felt that that was a, a real important thing to try to confront. Then, uh, probably around the same time, early 60s, some of my friends were starting to retire. And one of the things that I noticed, whether they retired, whether they kept working, that there was a real difference in the way that they approached life. And as a psychologist, as I observed, observed this over time, I saw that what they were doing in terms of their lifestyle had an impact on their health. Uh, you know, I hadn't given it that much thought because, you know, when you're in middle age, if you're normally in reasonable health, you don't talk too much about physicians or you, you don't know how many friends are, have some uh, degree of illness. But, but I could really see deterioration as people develop a more sedentary lifestyle. Uh, and that was in, in various ways that you'd see more illness, see weight gain, you would see them become less interesting. And when we did uh, get together, a lot of times the conversation uh, went around the, the topic of illness. I uh, kind of posed in the book, kind of an unscientific study that, uh, that I've done that when you get like six adults in their late 60s, 70s, 80s, if you get six of them together at a dinner, uh, at least one of them is going to start a discussion of health, which will draw in a couple of others. And I, I really started rebelling against those kinds of discussions. It's not my idea of fun. And it's something that, uh, you know, again, I'm a psychologist. I don't have a problem with people. Uh, attending to their their needs, taking medications if they need to. I just, again, don't think that's the basis of a lifestyle. So yeah. those were things that, that uh, I felt was really important. And then a uh, third thing is 
people started noticing that I was more active than a lot of people and suggested, you know, you ought to put some of your ideas down in a book. I rebelled for a little while because I didn't want to be seen as an old psychologist working with old people. I work in a headache center. I've had always had a broad range of people that I work with in terms of age ranges, but I kind of felt at some point sort of compelled and, and in some ways called to share some of this information. So these kinds of things all happened at one time. Took me a little while to actually overcome inertia and sit down and, and do the book, but that that's kind of where I got my inspiration for it. Definitely. And and I loved everywhere that was going. Um, one of my questions for you, you, you were talking about how when you went to do a checkup in, in your 60s, that they kind of had this expectation that you were taking medication. Hmm. Do you think that there's a failure in leadership in how our medical system is set up right now? Because it sounds like there might be. Yes, I think so, uh, both from a medical standpoint and, and also in, in terms of my field. I, I think that historically, uh, in terms of leadership, it's been uh, based on people who looked primarily at disease, that you really, uh, what made somebody good as a physician uh, is that they can deal with more complicated diseases. You know, the more, the greater the subspecialty and so on. Uh, a similar kind of thing happened with psychology, with depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder. Uh, so that historically, from, from a leadership standpoint, it was getting people from down here to neutral, in essence. Mm -hmm. Not going into drive, but basically getting people to be average. And then, you know, the kind of an assumption that anything else was kind of background noise. Now, I think that... Uh, Positive psychology, which is really a, a very young branch of psychology, has changed that to a large extent. And some of the people who do uh, consulting with leadership do that from, from a positive psychology standpoint, where the goal is thriving, flourishing. Uh, you know, we're not so concerned about the middle of the normal curve. Not that we're not concerned about it, but that's not the goal. The goal should be to maximize your potential, you know, so that that uh, taking a medication or how many medications you take is not where many of us put the emphasis. Uh, the emphasis should be really be in the areas of growth. And there's there's really good science now that shows that it's very important to be making progress in three main areas: the health and fitness area, the intellectual functioning area and the social area. And I think real leaders want to make sure that the people who are working with them or working for them are making progress in those areas. I, I definitely agree there. there there's, I, there's a, I believe there's a huge leadership deficit in, in, in the country, definitely, and, and just across the world in general right now. And part of it is because there's a lot of leaders that never learned what positive leadership looks like. They've just like in the medical field, they've been so used to this, this negative focused leadership. This is what you did wrong. Why didn't you get this deadline on time? You know, I need you to do this now. There's, you know, like, like all this negative input, that's how they learned and it's not productive. And that's why there's a lot of companies that fail. Most startups fail in the first five years, which is crazy. That's that's terrible statistic to have. To 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 considering that entrepreneurship is is the innovation that drives a country forward. That's what made America a, a thriving country was the amount of entrepreneurship that happened. And when you kill that that level of entrepreneurship. It, it stalls everything. And it, it, I think it's a lot to do with that negative mindset you're talking about. And I would agree with you that I think that a cure to that is how do we 
take the positive side of this? How do we reach higher? How do, instead of trying to make everyone mediocre, how do we reach excellence? Yes, that's really been a neglected part of leadership. It's been a neglected part of the healthcare system, uh, people in my field, so on, that the emphasis, you know, again, you would do a study, uh, clinical trial on medication or whatever it may be, that the goal is really to, to look at, uh, or historically has been to look at what is average. You know, rather, and if somebody exceeds the average, then again, they're kind of like background noise. They're, you know, you've got people up there, you've got people down below. Uh, and, but what, what really makes somebody average? And let's help everybody be that way, as opposed to focusing on what is, what is this, in my case, this 81-year-old guy doing that's different than somebody who may be sitting around all day and sees more doctors in the, the course of a week than I see patients and I'm, I'm working full time. Uh, you know, so I think that, well, I guess the basic thing I can say is I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> I don't know how, other than, you know, banging away at it, I don't know how we're going to change it, but I do think, but I think it's really, really, really important that we do so. And of course, there are some new voices like yours that are spreading the word and, and hopefully we're going to see that change. Definitely. And, and I think that's the key to make anything into reality, right? You need to have a couple people who are spokespersons for that idea. And then they get the buy-in from other people. And that buy-in continues to go up and up and up. That's, I mean, every great movement, that's how it happened. It started with a few rebels, right, who were on the outskirts who wanted to see the, the system change, who saw a better future for everyone if we made this change and then took action towards it. That's the call of a leader right there, is yeah, to and, and be and the voice can, of change. Sure, and then you can see the results. In other words, if uh, new companies start implementing those things and some of them don't fail, then you begin to get adherence and more people who can spread the word and somebody who's going to start who worked for this company is going to start their own company and utilize those principles. I'm sure that you're aware of the research that shows that the number of positive statements compared to negative statements in the workplace, uh, you know, once you get uh, less than, depending on, on the research or the study, either less than a five to one ratio of positive to negative or three point something to one. But once you get past, get lower than that, you know, and it, I'm sure that it doesn't take a lot of imagination to know that in many cases, the ratio is actually inverse of that. that you yeah, negatives and it's six to one negative to positive. <laughs> yeah, and it's not magic. If you, if you hear lousy things, as you're growing up as a kid, or if you hear lousy things as an employee uh, and no, get no encouragement, uh, there's less chance of really developing your own strengths as well as being loyal to the to building the the company. Definitely, and and I, I heard this this wonderful uh, concept where they say that um, something negative sticks to the mind like Velcro. While something positive sticks to the mind like Teflon, yeah, right. Yeah. As in to say, it doesn't really stick, right? Yeah, yeah that so, actually, I believe, is the the uh, work of uh, or the the words of Rick uh, Rick Hansen, who actually wrote the blurb on the the cover of my book. And that's awesome. <laughs> really, the, the the big person in positive neuroplasticity and. Uh, uh, he pointed out, well, lots of people point out that we have a negativity bias as, as yeah. a species just because of the fact that we grew up having to, when I say we, generations back, grew up having to uh, deal with thing, with dangers like storms and other tribes and uh, 
uh, wild animals, and so on. So, so we're hyper alert to negative stuff. So that's, that's why when we see negative things or hear negative things at the workplace, that hurts a lot more, sticks a lot more than some of the positive things, unless somebody comes along and offsets the odds by continuing to notice the moves in the right direction. I mean, it's, it's you know, what's supposed to happen in schools and, you know, in businesses. The more that you help the person to, to or reward moves in the right direction, the, the more likely you're going to see positive results. Definitely. It, one of my, my favorite lines um, that I've, I've heard people talk about is catch your people doing something good, right? Instead of trying to catch them doing what's wrong, try and catch them doing something good. Hey, look at that. That's awesome what you did right there. Thanks for doing that. And then what's the next good thing I can find? Right over there, right over there, right over there, right? Right. And that takes a secure leader. And I think uh, one of the best ways of being secure is to, to really feel good about yourself by making sure that you're growing in the, the three main areas so that, that you're always feeling that you're moving forward. So you don't need to feel good by putting somebody else down. I, I love that idea. You need to be a secure leader before you can lead an organization positively. Yes, because otherwise you have a need to feel better than the other person. So whether the people who are working for you are doing nice work or not so nice work, uh, that's the only way you can build yourself up is by criticizing them unless you're secure enough to know it's, it's not a zero sum game. You can, you know, for me to be right doesn't mean that somebody else has to be wrong. And, you know, we can all grow and prosper together if, if we're all on the same team. Definitely. It's, it's, it's the, the difference in mindset from the, the pie concept, which is there's only so many slices of pie and I need to get all the slices versus we have land that we're trying to make fertile. And the more hands we get on board, the more we can grow this land. Mm -hmm. Great. Yes. Awesome. And so, so the key to that, right, is to make sure that you're basically the three main areas, right? Your, your mental, your physical, and then your social. Correct. Yes, I, I think that balance is the thing that you want to achieve. I know, for example, uh, uh, I don't have a gigantic staff that works with me, but in our practice, for example, we do uh, reimbursement for both continuing education and for fitness uh, because we just consider that to be a really important thing. And I think that also may help the, the people who work with me to feel good about where they work and hopefully uh, their leader. Definitely. I, I think that's huge, right? Because now they know that you're investing in them, right? So many of us grow up without people who've invested in us. And like, I, I personally was very blessed in life. I had my mother, my aunt, and my grandmother who invested heavily in me to make sure I grew up well, right? And times were not always easy, but they did invest in me. And I'm eternally grateful for that. But that is not the norm in today's world. So many people have no idea that the most valuable asset they have is themselves, is their mind, is their body. And they don't understand what it's like to have someone else invest in them. And so it's, it's a breath of fresh air when you come into an organization or you meet a leader who's willing to take time, who's willing to put money on the line that they're not sure they're going to get back to invest in you. That's huge. Yeah, no, it's... Unfortunately, it's not the norm yet, but again, hopefully through some of the things you're doing, some of the things I'm doing, hopefully we'll get a lot more adherents or disciples who are going to spread the word because, it, you know, it, it may seem intuitive, but it doesn't necessarily play out that way. But it, I mean, it's, again, it's not magic that if you enjoy 
what you're doing. <laughs> and if you get support by the people who are important to you, you're more likely to evolve into the kind of person that maximizes your potential. Definitely. And, and this is something else that ties in with all of this too, is that you tend to attract people who are like you, right? And you tend to repulse people or you feel repulsed by people who are unlike you. So like you were talking in, in your story, one of your motivations in writing the book was that you had some associations where people stopped being active in life and they started to decrease their physical activity. They started to become more sedentary. They started to talk about medications all the time instead of, or, and their health all the time instead of the other wonderful, amazing things in life. And what happens? They attracted more people like that, but you didn't. You were completely different. You were repulsed by that. And you ended up finding more people who are attracted to the same types of things you're attracted to, to the positive psychology outlook, you're, to, to the thinking aging is a good thing, to, to thinking that things get better as things go along, that, um, that health is a, a thing to, to, that's important but shouldn't be the focus of everything that you still have social life that you need to take care of and that you have mental life that you need to take care of too. Yeah, and I think there's some byproducts that, that come from that that are, are really, really important. For example, uh, because I don't have as much in common with these people who are de declining by choice, uh, even though they may not acknowledge <laughs> it, but it means that uh, my involvement socially, intellectually, organizations I belong to, I am in touch with much younger people for a substantial part of my life, which means I'm exposed to fresher ideas. I'm not exposed to, to listening to the same channel all day long and not hearing a dissenting opinion. I am, you know, you, if I get accepted by people who are half my age, that does something pretty positive for me too and lets me know something about my self-worth, which I couldn't get sitting in front of the TV all day or uh, even in front of a computer or texting or whatever. It's a different story when you have meaningful relationships. Definitely. And, and then you couldn't write a book that actually has an impact that has very valuable life lessons in it. Because, because reading through Rejuvenating, I'm reading this, and even though I'm, I'm a fairly decent amount younger, right, I'm, I'm still like, these are, these are timeless lessons. It's not, these are lessons that aren't just for people who are in retirement age. These are lessons for everybody. Even down to the uh, grade school level children would, would very much benefit from these lessons. Yeah, I mean, there, there are things that uh, I've utilized in my work. And uh, again, as I said, I'm a positive psychologist. I've developed a, an approach that I call goal-achieving psychotherapy. And many of these are, are really things that I've applied across the board. I think it has particular relevance to people who are getting older because of the fact that they have, in many cases, they have more control over their time and the quality of their lives. Uh, if in order to apply those and you know I, I I was at a book signing a week and a half ago and somebody raised the question well somebody's been doing this all their life uh, you know they're not going to change at age 65 and I, the question is why not I mean you know if, <laughs> what is there about a particular age that says that you can't make changes you know, yeah. most of us have made certain kinds of changes, uh, but didn't see it as, as being dramatic or as hard. And I admit, if you, if you haven't gone to the gym in a long time, it's hard. Uh, you know, you're not going to immediately enjoy it. Uh, if you haven't read a book because you've been too busy at, at your job and raising kids, and things of this nature, to, to sit down and, and read, when the last book you may have read was 40 years ago, that's hard. But, you know, we can't really accept that as an excuse. There's a thing that I call, uh, I don't know if I put it in the book or not, 
because uh, again, there's a lot of principles that I use that, that I incorporated, some that I didn't, but there's a thing that I call the two excuse, T-O-O -O excuse. When somebody starts saying, well, I'm too old, too emotional, too young, too whatever <laughs> it is, then you've set the kind of the ground rules. It's, it's as if somebody comes and says, well, you know, uh, I can't play tennis with you because I brought my golf clubs here. You, you set the rules so then you can't play tennis. Yeah, you know, I can't learn how to swim because I didn't wear my bathing suit. Uh, you know, so if you establish the rules, then you're not open to change. I, I, I love that concept. The um, legendary leaders design the future. They don't accept how it is currently. They don't accept what the norms are. They look at what the norms are and say, how, how do we make this better, right? And that's what separates someone who's truly legendary versus someone who's mediocre, is they don't accept the two excuses. They won't say, I'm too old. They won't say, I'm too inexperienced. They won't say, I'm, uh, it's too late for me. You know, they don't accept that, right? And they just go off and do it anyways, right? And they say, how can I? right? Yeah. What is the possibility? What are actions I could start taking today to get there? Yes, and you have to be willing to accept the fact that not everything you try may work the way that you want it to, and there may be some, you know, stops and starts along the way, but the notion that, hey, if, again, I being active is better than being passive. Even if you're active and making some mistakes, even if you're active and don't uh, always achieve your goal, even if you're active and have to do modifications along the way, there's no way that you're going to get there by being passive. So real leaders accept the fact that it, I, if I'm going to be active and if I've got a problem, then how am I going to going to work on this it becomes it's not a matter of if but how exactly and and what i what i like in there is that so many times people see something and they say well it's too big i can't get there right like like in fitness this is huge people think i can't find 30 minutes to go work out i can't find an hour to go work out and they because they say I can't find that in my schedule, they, they determine that nothing is what they're going to do. When you don't need to work out 30 minutes straight, guess what? It's better to work out for five minutes than no minutes. Yeah, I mean, it's very simple the way you say it, uh, you know, but people don't think in those terms, you know, whether it's working out, whether it's reading, whether it's, uh, you know, calling a friend or whatever it may be. You don't have to, do, like people raise the question of, well, I'm an introvert. Uh, you don't have to be a social butterfly to call a friend that you haven't spoken with in a while, to meet somebody for coffee. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a major kind of commitment, but I mean, science has demonstrated, for example, at this point that, that uh, loneliness has, from a, from a mortality standpoint, is right up there with smoking, obesity, uh, you know, and sedentary lifestyle. So, I mean, the, the notion of, uh, for a lot of these things, whether it be exercise, whether it be socializing, whether it be uh, doing something from an intellectual standpoint, reading or so on, uh, for, for a lot of these things, you know, you're talking about really making some changes in the brain and talking about something that, that's really meaningful. It's not just that, hey, if I don't do this, I just won't do it. The, the reality is that it can make changes in the brain. It can make changes in the life. Yeah, and and I, you can tell me if I'm wrong. I'm, I'm not an expert psychologist, but... The, the brain has the ability to change as far as I'm aware up until death. It yes. does slow down after I want to say like we're in the twenties, but it's still able to completely change. 
Well, actually, you're, you might be a little behind on, on the science of it. What we have found out. Awesome. Tell me, tell me the new science. Yeah, I'm excited. No, yeah, because historically, and, and this is really uh, true for many of us who had our training in psychology and medicine years ago, even people like in their 40s now weren't as aware of this. The, the fact is that Historically, the assumption was that around age 30, late 20s, age 30, after that, the brain could only go in one direction, and that was to decline. You know, you could learn more, but your, your potential was pretty much maxed out. We now know through the science of neuroplasticity that the brain can change. It can create new pathways, new connections. Uh, there are even parts of the brain, the hippocampus, where you can get new neurons. And this can continue indefinitely. And this is one of the reasons that, that I wrote the book is because not many people know about it, hopefully more now. But, you know, if, if essentially you're going to say, well, what's the difference? There's only one direction I can go, and that's to decline. The reality is, no, you can continue to make changes, positive changes in the brain until, until you're not around anymore. Yeah. So, and, and that's, what's beautiful about the, the human experience, right? Is it's never too late, right? There's all the two excuses, but they're, they're just excuses at the end of the day. You can swat those excuses away and continue to get better anyways and make yeah. dramatic changes. Yes. And there are, you know, examples now that we may not have had years ago. There might have been some isolated ones, but there are people who have made some major changes in their health, taking less medication than they are. They, they've had some changes weight-wise. They're people who are producing things, whether it be uh, in writing or science or art, uh, that, that, you know, really got started later in life. And so we have, you know, examples now so that it's not like somebody, like it's a rare event that somebody starts accomplishing things or making changes. That's why in, in the book, for example, I have come up with the seven keys, but, but 71 specific behaviors that people could start to implement covering all the various areas. Uh, nobody's going to implement 71 of them, but... Uh, <laughs> You can probably, almost anybody, and, and I think this is true at all stages of life, almost anybody can find three or four things that they can do that they're not doing. And again, that's going to make some changes in the brain as well as in your overall satisfaction with life. Definitely, yeah. Like if, if you can't make one change in 71 areas, you, you have 71 options. And if you can't make one change, I think there's something wrong. And we should talk about it, right? Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully you're doing some of those things already. <laughs> that would be ideal, right? Oh, man. So um, with, with writing the book, what would you say is, has been the best part about writing it? Actually, the best part has been... Uh, well, for a couple of reasons, getting it over with. But, <laughs> but one of the, the things that, that has been really gratifying has been the number of people who have told me that they got some, that they found a couple of things that they can do differently that, than they were. Uh, people who have said that it has an impact in their lives. Uh, had some friends that I grew up with who... Uh, I hadn't spoken with in a while who now correspond with me regularly, either calling or emailing. It's just been the fact it seems to have touched a nerve in a lot of people. You know, there are a lot of books that deal with the, the other side of the coin, you know, Alzheimer's and oh, yeah. uh, how to choose the right doctor and, you know, things that, that really assume that, old age is going to be like that nurse assumed with me. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that the very fact that it's, it's had an impact in a positive direction has probably been the best thing about it. 
can't say that the, uh, while I did get into kind of a flow when I was writing it and all that, I still can't say that, that writing and rewriting and editing and so on was, was as much fun as <laughs> what I've achieved since, since it's come, been published. Awesome. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like when, when you take a stand for something you truly believe in, right? One, that's, that's hard to do for most people because we're, we're not raised in a society that really breeds courage. We're, we're kind of raised in a society that's told to follow the sheep, right? Mm -hmm. And that we're, we're going to guide you over here. You know, we, we're going to test you. You have A, B, C, and D, right? And there's a 25% chance you'll be right. And there's a 75% chance you'll be wrong. Right. And that's pretty much like how we're raised. Right. And so when, when we get out of college or high school, depending on, you know, what your background was, um, or if you didn't even complete school, right. You feel like, okay, well then my options must be ABC. Right. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be. Right. And I, I think what's even worse, and I don't know that, uh, uh, that they still do that. But I remember years ago when uh, some tests, some standardized tests and some teachers on their own would give tests where if you got the item wrong, you got, you lost more points than if you left it blank. In other words, it still was, happens. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's terrible. That in essence, what you're saying is you're better off not trying as opposed to doing some work, oh. taking a chance on making a mistake. Um, I mean, it, it, they're, well, it's, it's insanity. Oh my gosh. I, I didn't even think about the social implications of that. That is, oh my, that's a huge failing right there. Because, yeah. because you're literally demotivating people to take a chance. It, and it's built into the test, literally built into the test to demotivate you to take chances. And really, in order to succeed in life, you have to take chances. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and, and you get, uh, I mean, it's, I, I've seen it in my work sometimes. When I was, did more work with, with younger children, I would occasionally run across kids that, that we would talk about something that that they might want to try uh and they would say well my mother told me if you don't know don't guess you know and so that that she learned the lesson from the test and i i'm sorry to hear that uh, that you're saying that's still being done now because i think that's terrible both from a an intellectual standpoint and and from a societal standpoint i i do too i like i it didn't even occur to me how how under the radar that can be in a mindset but it's so true so many people in the world are demotivated to even try and and a lot of times it's it's because of fear right and that fear can very easily come from a test which says that if you don't do you know it's better not to try than to try yeah if you're rewarded for not trying then what kind of a risk taker are you going to be yeah, exactly. Oh my goodness. And if you're not a risk taker, what kind of a leader are you going to be? Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's, that's true. All leaders have to take risks because when you travel into the unknown areas, right, if you're trying to take your organization to a place it's never been before, it's not going to come just because, because it's a possibility, right? You, you can move forward, but there's a good chance that there's going to be failures along the way. And if you always try to, to stay in the comfort zone, you're not going to get the results you hope to get. And there, you'll end up finding someone who is willing to take those risks, and they will blow you out of the water. Sure. Yeah. And until, until we get enough examples and people wind up feeling badly enough about that behavior that they're going to want to change that, uh, you know, we're, we're going to get a certain percentage of people who aren't qualified to be leaders from, a, from an emotional standpoint, even if they're, you know, their grades are good enough and they, you know, can, can verbalize the right things, but that's not what happens in the real world. You, 
get situations where you have to make decisions. And if you if you're willing to take risks, you, your decision making tree is going to be different than if it uh, if that's not part of your your personal culture or yeah. psychological infrastructure. Well, and that's that's already happening. It's it's been happening not just my generation, but the generation before too. Is there are a lot of people in leadership positions who are terrified to take any chances, right? They they are absolutely terrified to take a chance. They're absolutely terrified to make any sort of a change. When situations come up, they would rather have someone else handle it or try and brush it under the rug. I'm working with a client of mine right now, and he he has a, a boss. He's um he's working on creating a business outside of his job. So he's kind of doing two things at once, and I, I get to coach him on both things, which is awesome. Um, but but he, he he's learning all this stuff to become a better business owner. And then when he goes to work, right, he's got a boss who's terrified to make different changes, who won't take the stand themselves to make those changes. And, and it, it bothers him so much that he can see where things need to go, but his, his boss won't take the stand to make those changes. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's going to ultimately probably lead to the boss losing a, a really valued person because unless he can begin to convince the boss, then you know his the, the psychological rewards of either going out on his own or going someplace where there's a different culture will be greater. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some risk taking and uh, suggest that. Because I have another commitment, I'd really like to continue. Oh, I'd love to continue this conversation too. Um, but I definitely 100% understand and I want to be respectful of your time. So um, I, I think we definitely should have another conversation in the future. Because there's so much that e even in the, the quarter of the book I've read, we haven't been able to touch yet. So I would love to have another conversation in the future. But Ron, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, how should they get a hold of you? Okay, well, my website is the Mental Health Gym, G Y M, www.thementalhealthgym.com. And also, if people are interested in the book, uh, the, it's available on Amazon in three different formats the printed book that you have, the ebook, and if they have audibles, uh, the audiobook version is listed there. So those are all options. I hope that some people got interested enough to, to try and reach out to, to Amazon. And certainly if anybody wants to uh, continue this discussion with me on my website, you know, I look forward to doing that. And I really want to get back with you at some point because number one, I'm learning a lot from you and We've still got stuff to talk about. Definitely. I would l absolutely love to do that too. And this book has my stamp of approval 100%. I haven't even finished it and I already know that it's got my stamp of approval. Ron, you've got, you're just a bundle of fantastic knowledge that's extremely important that people need to, to one, have in their life and two, they, they need to actually use in their life. Because it's one thing to know it, it's another thing to actually use it. And you are, are not just a, a library of information, but you're living this. And it shows in your life, which is awesome. So thank you for being an awesome person. Thank you for being a leader, taking a stand for the things you believe in. Thank you for taking a chance on writing this book for people. Oh, and thank you very much for having me and thank you for all the great work you're doing to promote the right kinds of leaders. Maybe one of these days we'll both see our successes with an increasing number of people who are doing the right things in leadership positions. Definitely. I believe it will happen as long as we ourselves continue to grow ourselves and the people listening right now decide to make a change and, and not just make the decision, but then act on that decision. And that's how we're going to see the change that we want to see in the world. Great.
Awesome. Thanks, Ron. Talk to you soon. That was our interview with Ron Kaiser. Absolutely fantastic interview. And if you're looking to get more information about his book, it's called Rejuvenaging, which I absolutely believe is a brilliant title. It is over on Amazon, and there will be a link in the description below. Thanks for listening to this episode. Please make sure to go to your favorite podcast player of choice and there rate the podcast, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And then if you truly want to be a leader, share this episode with someone that you know will be impacted because the best leaders fuel not only themselves, but others as well to their heroic potential. If you want to unlock your heroic potential faster, then you'll want to join the League of Legendary Leaders, an association of leaders who are dedicated to unlocking their heroic potential, unlocking the heroic potential of others, and where legendary leaders are born. We also have a goal to raise $100,000 monthly to support nonprofits that are actively undertaking causes to impact the future in areas including neurodiversity, character strength positive psychological research, homelessness, and more. Seize the call now. Go to www.theleadership.guide, and there's no .com after that, so let me repeat it, www.theleadership.guide and click Get Free Guidance Now to propel you on your journey to legendary leadership. I'm your host, Cody Dakota, and I'm honored to have spent this time with you today. My final message for you, and listen closely. It's time. Wake up your heroic potential. Let go of your fears and anxieties, and let's discover what is possible on your journey to become a legendary leader. Emerge and become who you were meant to be.